But I love offering kids big words, too, because I, having been a second grade teacher, I always wanted to extend their vocabulary. So I wasn't afraid to put some of those words in. Atrocious is in there and impeccable. I left it in uh, because I wanted them to have some discussion of bigger words. And I wanted the reader to be able to say, well, do you know what that means? Let me share with you what that means. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Grace Foxwell Murdoch, who just published her first children's book called Checker, The Mannerly Cat. Grace is an etiquette coach who owns Professional Grace, And with this book, she found a unique and creative way to help young children learn a few manners. And she's here today to talk with us about this fun project. So welcome to the podcast, Grace. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, I can tell you that this is probably a book that my mom wishes I had had when I was little because I was very resistant to manners. But um, when you came to to Saltwater to talk about having Checker the Cat, this was a project that you had had kind of, you've been kind of sitting on for for quite a while. Yes, I had written this book some years ago. I was still teaching at the time. And I thought of this idea of how to teach dining etiquette, dining manners to my grandchildren. And I have lots of friends who know that I have professional grace where I teach dining etiquette. And this just seemed like a wonderful path to pass along some etiquette tips to kids. Yeah, I think you know, with I don't have any children of my own, but I think, or I would assume, that if you can make learning fun in some way or make it creative, that's not like, now this is how you do this and this is how you do it, but to kind of make it fun and engaging, and I think that's what you were trying to do with, with your book. I was, and I also had the little um, idea to make it tricky because I, having been a teacher, I wanted to put some enticing things in the book that would make the children want to keep turning the pages um, and so so what kind of things I'd like when you say make it tricky what do you mean by that well the children were at their grandmother's house in the story mm-hmm. and their manners were awful at dinner and she had brought out dessert to them and they were acting so terrible she took the dessert back and excused them from the table and said they could leave so in the book I started, the grandmom starts calling the children, and on each turn of the page, there's another thing that this wonderful cat she finds has done. So for them to want to keep reading and hear what the cat can do mm-hmm. was one of the things that I wanted to embed in the book. And so is she, she's going through the, she's going through the kids' missteps, the cat's going through the kids' missteps, is that... Well, the cat is actually acting very appropriately. Uh-huh. He has impeccable manners, Tony. I see. And that's what Grandmom had in mind all the time, to help the children learn manners by following what the cat does. Yeah, it's all about if my cat can do it, uh-huh. why can't you crazy kids <laughs> not throw food at the table or wipe your mouth with a napkin or wash your hands before dinner? So, But it was a really cute concept, I thought, when we were working on it that you know, instead of just, here's the lesson, you know, kind of tucking that lesson into disbelief almost. Because you can see in some of the pages where the kids are like, 
grandmom's crazy. She's got a cat that she's taking out to fine dining. And, you know, it's it's kind of like this cute moment. So the kids in their disbelief are actually figuring out the manners, which is, which is I think, it was a really adorable moment in the book. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And you actually worked with a young lady to do illustration work for this. I did. And that is the reason the book took so long to come to publication was because I could not find an illustrator. And mm. I read the writer's manual. I must have bought them five or six years in succession, mm -hmm. getting ready and submitting the manuscript a couple times. And it was always, don't send us any illustrations. We'll pick the illustrator. Well, I never got an acceptance letter, so it just went back on the shelf and life ensued. Right. But I was very fortunate to find actually a teacher friend's granddaughter who I knew was an artist, and uh, Meredith Brewington is the, my illustrator, and she's a senior in high school at Parkside, and she did a marvelous job with every illustration with my text. That's fascinating to hear because we've had a couple of children's authors on before, and I'm, I'm thinking of Bob, Barbara Lockhart off mm -hmm. the top of my head, who make it clear that the story happens together with the illustrations. So to, to think that they would want the unillustrated version of your copy, I mean, because then there are going to be some pages that just say, look there, right? And like, how are you going to know what's going on right. on the page without the, you know, did, so... Did you send like suggest? Did you like describe what the illustrations should look like? Is that, is that how you? I don't know how I would go about submitting a children's mm -hmm. book. So do you say look there and then in parentheses say and then the cat, in the picture if there were a picture above the cat would be looking down at a ball or something like I don't. Well, know. I had great access to Meredith and uh -huh. we met several times uh, in Salisbury, mm -hmm. and bless her heart she'd ride her bike and meet me at a coffee shop and we would go over every piece of text that mm -hmm. I had written and we would talk about all the illustrations and then she would send them to me via computer and we would discuss it again texting and in emails and she was just so accommodating and so talented that I'm very pleased with the project. Oh, right I, I was saying before you found her oh. when you were submitting to the publishers I don't know how they could go about making a good choice without having at least a description of what you expected from illustration yes well tony i never got that far oh, so wow. <laughs> that's why finding saltwater media was such a boon to my authorship yeah uh, <laughs> it, it's just it's just confounding to me i'm sorry it's just <laughs> no I, yeah no it i understand sense, what yeah. you're saying yeah. right yeah for, so for people to say oh just just send us just the the story without that does you know, but that's why they uh, that's why they get the big books. But that's why right. what made it kind of cool that you and I and Meredith got to work together because that was a real collaboration. And she, Meredith really came to literally the drawing table with you in mind, with knowing how passionate you are. I mean, you were very passionate about this project. And I think a couple times when we were working, I was like, Mer I mean, I was like, Grace is pumped, <laughs> and I am like pumped because she's pumped. You right. know, and so that kind of infectious enthusiasm kind of fed together. But can you tell us a little bit about how you storyboarded it? Did she kind of say, well, I think this is how this should go? Or did you kind of banter back and forth on different pieces? Yes. And I told her at the outset the characters I wanted in the book. I wanted a mom, a grandmom, and two kids. And she went from there. And she also absolutely fashioned the grandmom a little after me in the mm. story. I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but uh, it's fine with me. 
And we talked about every uh, page of text, and she took it from there, and every illustration she did for me, I was more excited about the book. And just looking at her talent and how she um, chose how to depict the text was phenomenal, and I, I'm very grateful to her. I have a little story about when she went to apply for colleges. May I tell that? Oh, please do. Okay. Absolutely. She went to one interviewer, and he looked at her portfolio, and she said, oh, and by the way, here's a recent project I did. I illustrated a children's book. The man actually stood up and clapped his hands and said, oh, we love getting people like you. Oh, so that's wonderful. she'll be attending college in the fall, and she's actually going to minor in art. So, because that she wants a funny. business degree, but isn't that a great story? That is a great Stood story. Stood up and clapped for her. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's exciting to see, I think, initiative generally, um, without sounding like I'm a billion years old, when you see someone <laughs> who's actually gone out and done the work, it's always satisfying rather than someone who says, trust me, I can go out and do the work if I feel like it, you mm -hmm. know? Right. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit and talk about how you came to get into manners professionally i'm thinking like i mean there's emily post and you and that's everybody i mean i miss manners <laughs> right so there are three um so it's it's kind of a narrow field um, so you you said you said that you would you had taught and how did you start the um the uh want to say grammar manners grammar and manners uh -huh. mean the same to me and sound too much alike um but how did you get into, into manners? What was that? I was a, a, an assistant principal in um, Wicomico County, and I missed teaching. And so I figured out a way to still impart knowledge, and that was by creating a business called Professional Grace. And I had always loved etiquette and manners, and I learned it in my mother's dining room. We had, uh, there were five children in our family. We had big family dinners. It was always the girl's job to set the table. I had an aunt who lived in Baltimore, and she was always set a very proper table. So it came from that, Tony, that I, it just kind of came naturally with the business etiquette idea, mm -hmm. because much of business is done at a dining table so uh, along with offering seminars on customer service training and workplace professionalism I also taught dining etiquette and that's how the professional part of teaching manners came about but I always do it for children mm -hmm. and I love I just went in the other day and had my initial reading of checker for a second grade class and uh, we practiced knife and fork use by cutting and eating donuts oh, and it was fun. great fun but that's how I came to the professional part of dining etiquette. And I also offer it to uh, college students at SU and Dell Tech, and I do dining etiquette dinners for those concerns. I've got to ask, so um, officially, are you a switch the fork or leave the fork in your left-hand person? That is a, an American style of eating is to switch the fork. Very inefficient. The uh, European style of eating is much more efficient, but Americans usually switch the fork and then lay their, um, place their knife across the top, blade in across mm -hmm. the top of the plate, and put their fork back in their eating hand. I'm right-handed, so much of my instruction is right-handed, mm -hmm. and the left-handers are pretty much on their own when I give these <laughs> tips. <laughs> I'm Good sorry to, to say. say. <laughs> I, I only ask, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a keep-the-fork-in-the-left-hand uh -huh. person, so mm -hmm. that's, I, 
it's something that I, I take notice of. Um, but I'm gonna keep the fork in the left hand person because when I was a kid, I read one of those stories about how the, you know, the spies got caught. The American spies got caught by switching hands. So I decided I was going to train myself to eat. In case you became a spy. On the outside chance I became a spy. That is literally, yeah, I've got the biggest mouth in the world. Literally my only spy skill is not eating, is eating with my left hands. hand. That's, That's very interesting. <laughs> That's the European style. And, I, I, and, and so I, I was, I've always been fascinated because I've been doing it for so long. Uh-huh. It really, it looks almost uncomfortable to me when, other, when I see people switch their fork around. And I have a friend who's English and he said that it comes from not having... Um, spoons when uh, no yeah not having spoons when when they were here in America and so you had to use the spoon with the right hand and the fork with the left hand and so they would switch back and forth with the with the spoon with the with the fork because there was no spoon that's right and they pushed they use the knife as a pusher right and that's why they always keep their uh, fork in their left hand so they can push their food onto their fork Mm-hmm. So this is one of those moments where <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like actually sitting here with my arm. I got my elbow on the table. Uh, I'm sitting uh, here uh, trying uh, to figure uh, out like <laughs> pretend you're eating a steak, Stephanie. Which way are you doing it? So I don't know. My mom was, God bless her. She wanted us to have manners, but I've, I was so resistant to it. Um, and she always just said, I tried to raise ladies, but you know, and so actually when I did checker the mannerly cat, I actually learned yes. at 38 years old. Good. I actually learned about the resting position. I uh-huh. did not know a thing about it. Right. And actually when I gave Grace her proof, because I didn't know what it was, I had it upside down. <laughs> and she was like, um, so can we just switch this picture right side <laughs> up? And I was like, oh, I didn't even know it was upside so down. So what, uh, what is the resting position? The resting position is well, when you're finished, you put both the fork and knife on your plate. Mm-hmm. But when you're resting to signal to the waiter that I'm not finished, I'm just taking a break, you put the knife on the like like 12 and 2 mm-hmm. kind of position with the blade facing into the plate. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to signal that I'm not done with my plate. I'm just kind of you know, taking a little break, a little breather right. so I can eat the rest and go for it. And, and so you had that upside down because... I had it upside down because I didn't know a thing about it. I had it like... I put my knife right in front of me where I could get to it in an emergency. Yeah, exactly. Because in case you got to stab the spy <laughs> sitting next to you, you're going to need easy you're, access to your fork. You your realize knife. that they've switched hands while they're eating and they are not, in fact, a German national. All right. Well, I, I can't... speak another language. Right? I can make you feel better, Stephanie, because I've had many grandmothers read this book to their grandchildren and they have said grace i learned something so you're good at 38 well good I, I'm, I'm i'm sure my mother if she hears this will feel much better about my inadequacies <laughs> what do you think the most common um the most common lesson that older people come away with when they when they read your book and they're like oh i didn't know that mm-hmm. um i think the silent service code is one thing where you place your utensils at the end of your meal at 10 20 mm-hmm. and blade in and sometimes the fork tines can be down sometimes up but it is telling the server that they can remove your plate and they don't have to ask every diner are you finished are you done mm-hmm. so and that's very helpful at a meal when you're either in a restaurant or and you don't want to be bothered by the, and the server certainly should have the courtesy of not having to ask you if you're finished right, right. and the other thing is the bread uh, I don't know that I put it extensively in the book, but it's bite, it's taking off just one piece of your roll and bite, buttering that bite, 
and eating that bite. You don't butter the whole roll and take a bite and put it back on your bread plate. I'm no, doing because everything then you wrong. don't get nearly as much butter. No. <laughs> Do I look like a guy that wants one <laughs> slice of no, no, one pat per one pat per piece? <laughs> this is what I always say. Yeah. But that's that was that's not a manner thing for me. That's just mm. gluttony. Yes. Well, I like <laughs> bread and butter. I'm not sure if I eat it for the bread or for the butter, Tony. <laughs> But I want to ask, I, I feel like I remember when you and I were talking that you said that Checker the Mannerly Cat, which initially was Checker the Cat with Impeccable Manners, yes. but we you kind of decided to shorten that yes. for, for kids, mm-hmm. not maybe impeccable. It was a mouthful. It was, and mm-hmm. impeccable being a big word for, yes. for little ones. Um, I feel like I remember you telling me that this book, the idea for this book, this kind of inspiration for this had been with you for about 10 years yes. before we actually decided to make that thing real right my grandson on my husband's side Jake is about to turn 18 on February 4th and I can remember that he was in bed upstairs with his brother and he was about four five maybe and I read him the text and I said won't it be great that there's an author in the family Jake won't that be wonderful and Mike yelled from downstairs I'm already an author Mm -hmm. so that's (laughs) it was that long ago Stephanie but it was it it just had to wait because as I said life ensued I was working full-time I was still raising children um so but it, it it I wanted this to be a full circle I was so thrilled to find you and oh, to find the illustrator and have this happen. Yeah, it was it was a nice bit of kismet there. Mm-hmm. So why why a cat? Why not a dog I, or a penguin? I love cats, Tony. Uh-huh. I've always loved cats, and I do have a long-haired black cat. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that the uh, verbiage for using uh, the word checker, I had originally called him Chexter. But it was such a mouthful that I decided (laughs) that, again, would be hard for the children. And I had adopted this cat since I had written the book. And I called him Checker because he's all black. Mm -hmm. And then so I fixed the book, too, to be Checker the... Chexter Impeccable. Mannerly cat. Yes. I actually would love to hear a four-year-old say that. It might (laughs) might take them a long time, but it would sound adorable once they got it Yeah, we'll get Jeff Smith's uh, kid, June, in here, and we'll get him to say it. That's been fantastic. But I love offering kids big words, too, because I, having been a second-grade teacher, I always wanted to extend their vocabulary. So I wasn't afraid to put some of those words in. Mm. Atrocious is in there, Mm -hmm. and Impeccable, I left it in. Uh, because I wanted them to have some discussion of bigger words, and I wanted the reader to be able to say, well, do you know what that means? Let me share with you what that means. So, mm. yeah, I like extending vocabulary. Yeah. Now, did you, when you're going through and deciding which manners you're going to cover and which you're not, because you, you, have, to, you have to limit it, did you um, choose, like, the most commonly misunderstood ones, or did you just do it in... Like order of the meal, what jumped out at you? How did you how did you choose what you were going to cover? Because it's you know a children's book; it's not a manual. Right. I wanted them to have the basic manners that when they came to their dinner table for any holiday or any meal with their family, they would know how to do the basic things: clean hands, no elbows, no lying across the table, not reaching for things, uh, asking for things to be passed, please and thank you. The basic things that I think everybody would like to have happen at their meal table. So we have a lazy Susan, and, and one of the things that bothers me is that everyone has to reach for the lazy Susan. I felt like I don't know how that came to be a thing. Maybe, maybe that's why they call it a lazy Susan. But, you, but the, <laughs> the idea like of, reaching. But the idea of not reaching, like, 
if I say to you, can you pass the salt? Then you have to reach over to get the, so I think that's a poorly conceived. Maybe it's just because I have a square table. Like on a, we're recording here on a small table and I feel like this is the right size for a lazy Susan, but a larger table, I don't think it Yes. Works. Well, that's a convenience thing. And I do happen to have a lazy Susan just with uh, sugar and salt and pepper. But when that, when the children come to the table, that gets removed and we do pass things. And I do expect them to uh, learn some, right. practice the manners that are in the book. I was discussing something with my children the other day um, because I said I said earlier, and I wasn't kidding, manners and grammar are, are both something that... Yes. When I was a child, my father and mother would correct my grammar um, in the middle of a sentence. Mm-hmm. And um, they were joking that they, you know, that must have been fun. And I'm like, well, now... <laughs> My, my grammar is impeccable. And I, I swear <laughs> I said it. Yeah, Excellent. I swear I said it. But what I was thinking about was that it's okay to stop in the middle and non-aggressively say, hey, this is how we do things. It's not about chiding you. It's about helping you improve. And what I say to my kids often is, you know, I'm saying this now because I'm not always going to be here. I'm going to give you everything I got now. And then hopefully you can take something from it. I agree with you. There's always a way to deliver information in a kind manner, and I'm big on kindness. And I often tell parents to do dining manners once a week at home. Say, tonight we're really going to practice our manners, because if you do it every night at every meal, it becomes tiresome, and they might become embarrassed. And it makes it too hard on the folks to keep pointing things out, and it can ruin the meal. So if you put one night aside, and then when they, when you say, when you have shown us that you're ready to use your manners, we'll go to a restaurant. And I don't mean McDonald's. Right. I mean <laughs> right. a restaurant with hopefully a cloth napkin and a place setting to help them learn how to uh, navigate it. Mm-hmm. And when... When it's a habit, it's not a chore, and that's that's why that's I think right. it's a good idea to do it to do it occasionally. Because anything you get habituated to, you don't. Oh now, what? Do, I don't worry about. Well, I do worry about the left-handed fork thing, but that's just because <laughs> I'm out of my mind. But I don't. I don't worry about it because it comes naturally, and it comes naturally that's because right. you've practiced and it, done it out of out of out of mm-hmm. habituation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I think that as you were sitting there talking, I remember when I was in college, one of the the business professors at Washington College offered a, I don't know if it was a class, but it was like a, almost like a lab for business, mm-hmm. right? Uh, instead of going to the chemistry lab, there was a lab, quote unquote, that we went to where the professor had a meal brought in. Mm-hmm. And he told everyone, you're going to come to this and, you know, you're not going to wear sweatpants, you're not going to wear flip-flops, you know, you're not going to you know, you're going to like wash your face and, <laughs> you know, and then he had the, so we all sat around this sort of like long oblong table and so it was like a, I don't know, just a really long mm-hmm. rectangular table. Mm-hmm. And we had the salad served to us that we had, we went through the whole courses and while we were doing it, he was like saying, you all are going to go out into the business world. You are going to have meetings. Absolutely. At a table. You're, you know, you're going to be doing deals over cocktails you're gonna be doing deals over dinners and in people's homes and things like that 
you should know how to do these things. And it was amazing to me. And I, I just said, like, I was resistant to manners. But, you know, my mom was really a person who really pushed manners. I was resistant, but it did get in. It did mm-hmm. get in. And I remember going to this thing and, like, one of the kids, like, showed up in, like, soccer pants. And, right. and the professor was like, would you wear that to go meet the CEO of a business? So it just, it's, I think what you've done with Checker the Mannerly Cat is start young and start not in your face mm-hmm. kids love to read books and they love to see you know colorful illustrations and there is a lot of colorful illustrations in this absolutely one. and it's fun and it's something that's kind of you know it's really something they can get into and i think it kind of sets the bar at an at an accessible it's easy to get into because you've made it very accessible for young kids that is something that they can kind of think back to without getting into too much trouble and wearing soccer pants to meet a ceo you right know? right well, it's turned out well, and I'm, I'm very pleased with the finished product, and I hope that when I give it to my grandchildren, who now are, some are in their teens, I can see it hopefully being kept, and they'll read it to their own children in the future. So I just think it's going to be one for the shelf that they may pull out at different times. It's just like Emily Post and Amy Vanderbilt and right. all those <laughs> other etiquette teachers, mm-hmm. Tony, right? <laughs> um, so I just just before before we go too too much farther. So this book has just come out. Yes, yeah. just this fall. And so, can you talk about some of the things that you do to promote it and get 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 it noticed by other people? Get get do you do readings? Like you said, you read to a second grade class. Do you do anything else? Like what are what are some of the ways you promote your book? I do a lot of social media, and I recently had a couple kindness projects that were taking place in my in Salisbury in Wicomico County. And I used all the sales of Checker, the Mannerly Cat, to bring speakers to the schools and to Salisbury. And I have retailers who sell a kindness bracelet that I created. Mm -hmm. And those same retailers also agreed to sell Checker, the Mannerly Cat. So I posted on my Facebook pages. And I also did a book signing at one of the retailers. And uh, Meredith actually came over to Berlin to the toy store. And she sat, and as a 17-year-old with a book that she had illustrated, she sold more books than I ever sold at my book (laughs) signing. (laughs) So I was happy for her. And uh, word of mouth, Mm -hmm. lots of family have bought them. I've given a fair amount away because I wanted my families to all have them. Right. Right. Um, And so when when you're promoting it on on social media, do you you include a link to buy it on... Online, or do you have them, or do you have them buy it from like a website store? What what's that? I have them go to the retailer, the one that has the book, and mm-hmm. I also post the Amazon link because that came with my package from Saltwater Media right. and Barnes and Noble, and I share it occasionally. And mm-hmm. I will. I also have people who have sent me pictures of them reading it to their grandchildren. That's awesome. So I post those pictures, and everybody loves those. And it it's just. It's been wonderful. Um, I've I've had more than one order from Stephanie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know how we're doing on Amazon. You have to let me know, Steph. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm doing the uh, fourth quarter reports. Uh, started them this afternoon. So we'll okay. So when you're, I, I I think it's a really good idea to post pictures of people sharing with their, with your with their with their grand with mm-hmm. their grandkids because it does help people to connect with that. This is the kind of thing to bridge a gap maybe that you know maybe this is something 
we were we were speaking a little bit before the show about sometimes it can feel uncomfortable to say, hey, you need this, mm-hmm. right? right. And so maybe a, maybe a little bit of a more subtle way to go about that. Is that something that you've run into a lot? Or Well, uh, you will hear people share with you that they're a little hesitant to give manners instructions. So the book has helped that way because it is a subtle way to um, teach manners. Uh I also like the fact that the pictures that are sent to me are usually grandmothers, mm-hmm. and I knew that that would be my audience, right. that mothers and grandmothers would buy the book. I also had a daycare mother who put it in the Christmas basket for her daycare children, That's which cool. I thought was That's so awesome. dear. Yeah. And That's the more, so great. Yeah, the more I get invited to go and read it to schools, and I'll post those pictures, it, it's, it's a marvelous tool to have in my a basket to share with children and to read at schools because I, I'm, I love to be asked to read. Oh, that's wonderful. And now that you've done this, do you feel like you're going to do another one? Is there something up next? I do have another book. Uh, it has to do with my kindness bracelet that I created, and I will be uh, uh, extending my work with that as soon as I get some other things in life tucked away. <laughs> Always yeah, there's always there's always the next book kind of kicking around in yes. your head and getting it moved to the front of the line. Yes, be. and it will be a fun story about the little bracelet that has spread so much kindness. Oh, yeah, because Grace is, um, I always refer to her as the kindness lady of Salisbury. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's the one that does the uh, dance for kindness. Flash mob, people practiced oh. it, and they, they did, I think. Yep. Worldwide, we did both. But no, I always, I always refer to Grace as the kindness lady because she's got the kindness bracelets, and then you did the buddy benches yes. at what Pinehurst? Yes, um, not seven, seven schools have buddy benches thanks to the sales of the kindness bracelet, and there are five are now going in Somerset County soon, and nine more are built, being built for Wycombe County. Right, and what's really cool about that is it's a bench on the playground, and all the kids know they're all told that if they see a kid sitting on this bench, then that kid needs a buddy. That kid just needs a pal. And then so it's kind of a way, I don't know if it's necessarily anti-bullying, but it certainly is a kind, you know, teaching kindness and like sharing and kind of giving of yourself. And so I think there's a lot of work that Grace is doing beyond Checker, the mannerly cat. Um, the kindness bracelets are really cool. Both Patty and I have them. Yep. And it's this, this cool beaded bracelet. And as you, you do one kind thing, you move the bead over and you're supposed to do what, 12? 12 a day. 12. Mm-hmm acts of kindness a day so you move the bead um you know as you go through which is pretty cool and i think manners i think manners and kindness go together stephanie so that's why the book was a perfect outgrowth to the kindness projects because when you use good manners you're being kind yes that is true do you know how i like to show my kindness in a limerick (laughs) why not If anybody wanted to get one of our limericks, one of my limericks or one of your haikus, how would they do that? Sure thing. If you like the show and if you like what you're hearing, then just go to our website, which is www.sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com. Click on the Contact Us button. And if you give us your name, if you pick a word and your mailing, give us your mailing address, Tony will take your word, put it into a limerick. I will put it into a haiku. We will put it on a fancy schmancy postcard. We'll slap a stamp on it, and we'll pay a guy to bring it to your house. Just like it's 1847. It might even come on a pony. All right, Stephanie. Now is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Well, Grace, thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Ready? So what's your story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. 
Visit us at SoWhatYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.